The Spin-Off Podcast Network. You're listening to Business is Boring, a podcast that reckons it's anything but. Business is Boring is brought to you by SparkLab, offering inspiration and practical advice to help businesses find their edge. To hear more about SparkLab, including details about the latest events, workshops, and business tools, visit sparklab.co.nz. And now, here's your host, Simon Pound. You're listening to Business Is Boring, a podcast that reckons it's anything but. Business Is Boring is made by The Spin-Off with help from Callaghan Innovation, New Zealand's innovation agency. Here's your host, Simon Pound. Tucked away in Parnell is an innovation centre that has helped propel some of the biggest names in local tech forward, although you might not have heard of the place or even some of the names. It's a truism of the local scene that some companies are easy for the media to cover, and some, like many facets of science and technology, are a little complicated and don't get the airtime. This hub used to be a DSIR building, and it started to let space to projects with interesting science, and they've gone on to be unusually successful. Some you really have heard of, like Rocket Lab. Some you might know, like Lanzatech, one of the great undertold stories of the local scene, and some you'll be hearing a lot more of in the future, like Mint Innovation, who are turning e-waste into literal gold. The importance of fostering this creativity has meant that what started as an accidental meeting of minds has become very purposeful, with the space now operating as Level 2, an incubator specialising in deep technology. What's that? Well, to find out and talk tech, incubation and the next crop of great ideas, Imsha Furi, General Manager Innovation, and Dr Will Barker, CEO of Mint Innovation, join me now. Thank you so much for joining me. Hey, so first up, um, what, what got you into the tech incubation space, Imcha? Oh, thanks, Simon. Um, a series of wildly unpredictable events as these things tend to happen. Mm. Um, I started out as, as a biotechnologist. That was my background. Um, loved science, loved the way it can transform the way things are done. Um, so I pursued a science degree, ended up going into research with the Centre for Brain Research and hated every minute of it. Hated being stuck in the lab pipetting all day. I wasn't dealing with people enough. So uh, I started out sitting on a couple of the return on science investment committees, getting involved with early stage investment that way. Um, met Will somewhere along the way. Uh, and level two just kind of happened. Um, I had an interest in in how science travels from benchtop to marketplace to people who really need it. And during that process... You know, early stage investment, incubation is pretty important. So I've always had a leaning towards that. And in so many uh, kind of tech spaces, people invest ahead of revenue. But with science, you've got investing ahead of revenue, often also investing ahead of actually knowing if the thing that you're thinking about is going to work, <laughs> if it's ever going to find a market. It must be such an interesting process to get involved with uh, yeah, th- those investment committees and those early stage companies and, and see those like first sparks turn into companies. No, it absolutely is. And it starts 
It starts with the idea first. It always does. Um, and the theory follows shortly after. That's when early stage investment get, tends to get involved, when there's a great idea, a great founder or scientist, um, and they just need a little bit of scope to test it out. And that's what I find really exciting. Yes, we don't know if it's going to work. That's part of the excitement. Um, but also part of why investing in deep tech early on is difficult for a lot of investors. Mm, what do you think, Will? Yeah. 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 <laughs> I absolutely agree. Yeah. yeah. yeah let, 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 let's, bring, um, let's bring Will on here. Hey, so, 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 uh, Will, what, what's your background? How did you come to be uh, in Parnell, Auckland, New Zealand? Sure. So mine's a, mine's a bit of a longer story, um, a little older than uh, MCHA. Um, but uh, you can probably tell by my accent, I'm, I'm English originally. Uh, completed a PhD in England uh, in uh, synthetic chemistry uh, and came to New Zealand originally about 20 years ago as a working holiday uh, to postdoc, a fairly typical journey for a scientist. Uh, had every intention of returning back to the UK and, and uh, I guess, making it big in the pharma industry. Um, just fell in love with New Zealand, as uh, a lot of a lot of expat British do, and uh, and and just very very passionate about science still. And uh, I had to uh, working in science in New Zealand is is, is a challenging space. There's uh, not a lot as many opportunities as there are in the UK, so I had to be a little bit more creative about starting a career. Uh, had a bit of a meandering, I call it a career in inverted commas, uh, for, for a few years. Worked in forensic science, science for four years, uh, busting meth labs. Um, then uh, moved to uh, become a patent attorney, took a, took a proper job working as a patent attorney. Um, worked for a local patent attorney firm. And that's when my interest in commercialization really started and uh, um, became a lot more uh, involved in intellectual property uh, and a lot more uh, how you leverage the value of science. Uh, from there, uh, I spent about seven years in Lanzatech, as you mentioned earlier in your intro, a very successful uh, biofuels company that was founded here in New Zealand. Uh, but recently, uh, about well, four years ago now, um, moved all its operations in HQ out to Chicago to continue its commercialization story. Uh, I took that opportunity to step out and uh, and, and look for the next uh, venture to, uh, to to become involved in, uh, to get started with. Um, looked at a lot of different technologies around New Zealand, uh, a lot of pri- publicly uh, held technologies, a few privately held technologies, and um, didn't really find what uh, what 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 would you know really really lit my fire. So I uh, what I ended up doing is uh, myself and a and a, and a colleague kind of went back to basics. We're really interested in the clean tech space, taking waste and creating some value. Um, learned a lot of very important lessons from Lanzatech about uh, creating value from waste and uh, and how to really you know uh, give yourself a head start in that space. And uh, and that's how we kind of slowly evolved into the idea of mint innovation, which, as you as you pointed out, we take uh, we take waste material uh, in in our case electronic waste material, and then we uh, we recover gold and other valuable metals from that waste material using a uh, a mixture of chemistry and uh, and biotechnology, and uh, and and you know that's that's where we are today. We're, we're kind of uh, part way through that journey. 
let's jump a bit into what Lancetech has done because it might have um, popped into people's radar as one of those examples of a, a Kiwi company that then ended up moving offshore. Uh, but like, I don't know if it's as well known as it should for its actual scale and the amount of investment it's had and the people it's dealing with because it's had hundreds of millions of dollars of international investment. It has hundreds of patents around um, the, the world and is, is probably on the on the edge of doing some really significant stuff. What does it actually do? Yeah, sure. <laughs> Great question. And you're absolutely right. It's a phenomenally successful company that, uh, that is little known because it's uh, on the verge, if you like. Um, so they take, uh, in the first instance, they take carbon-rich gases. Those are, are waste gases from industrial processes. Um, in the first instance, that's steel mill waste gas. That's the, the gas that you see being flared out at the top of uh, those dirty steel mill pictures that you see uh, on the internet. Uh, and uh, because they're being burned, these gases, you know there's carbon and energy in them. And, uh, and what Lanzatech is, ta- is, taking that, is doing is taking that carbon and energy and putting it through a biological process. And you've got these tiny little microbes that take the carbon and e- energy and convert it through to biofuels and bio, uh, bio um, chemicals. Um, the journey started uh, probably more than 10 years ago, 15 years ago now. Uh, and uh, and it's a typical um, you know a typical clean tech story starts with uh, with with a small amount of investment small team uh, proof of concept uh, raise a bit more money uh, R and D scale up pilot plant raise more money bigger team demonstrate the technology at scale and uh, they're actually commercialising now so they actually do have a commercial facility in China now. Um, it's four years since I've been at the company, but I, I understand they're doing very well. And, uh, and that first commercial facility enables them to springboard to multiple facilities around the world. And that is true success in the clean tech world. Yeah. Um, they continue to be rated the number one clean tech company in the world, uh, a company I'm very, very proud to have worked at. Uh, but the amount of experience that you gain in working for a, a, a startup like that, a successful startup like that, is phenomenal. And, uh, and there's a, a very large number of staff who have c- been part of that Lanzatech story and have, have stepped out at some, some stage to do their own thing and, uh, and use those skills, leverage those skills, leverage those networks and, uh, and, and start their own companies. And, 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 and Mint is one of many. Yeah, and that's the thing, isn't it? Where the when the argument talks about people going overseas, but the the um, intellectual uh, property, the the understanding, the networks, and the experience go on to then foster so many new companies in the in the ecosystem. And I, I love the way that you said that it's very um, typical of a a clean tech story, uh, because it, it's so cool that like um, a couple of people read a science paper about was it a rabbit gut microbe uh and they were like maybe that could be the thing that could turn yeah like um smokestack pollution into ethanol and then 15 years later it's happening but it takes 15 years and a lot of investment to even turn one dollar of revenue it's correct and 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 that's absolutely right the uh, you know it's a it's a it's a happy is it a happy coincidence of a series of events uh, one of the co-founders lived near a steel, steel mill uh glenbrook steel mill 
sees the uh, the flare being burned on a daily basis from his back garden. Yes, uh, there's a lot of energy in there. We could use that for something. Exactly. They're, they're both biotech. The founders are biotechnologists. They've both got backgrounds in this. They start doing some digging, start identifying where this can go. And uh, and, and it's and it's just a uh, privately held tech in New Zealand is, is always comes out of those uh, kind of happy kind of coincidence of the right people coming together with the right ideas and uh, and creating it privately held tech and that's uh, level two's uh, speciality if you like is 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 a challenging space because you you've got you've got your average people who've got neat ideas that do need lots of money lots of space lots of infrastructure to develop so uh, um yeah sometimes it works out and sometimes it doesn't but the lands tech story has been yeah pretty phenomenal wild ride for a lot of people and yeah, to, to go into that um, level two idea, so having been through that experience and, and you, Imsha, having had the experience of working with uh, early stage companies in the investment space, what made you decide that level two was what was required? And what's special about it? How does it work? We didn't really make that decision. Um, level two started out from a very organic need. There was a need for space. There was a need for startups to work together. Um, and level two just started by a happy accident. The first private company on site didn't start there until, well, started there 20 years ago. So we've been a home to deep tech startups for for two decades. Um, No one decided that that's what New Zealand needed. Um, It just arose out of a need. And in the formalising it into level two and the creating kind of the incubation um, part? Also out of necessity. DSIR turned into IRL, which then turned into Callahan a few years later. Um, Callahan made the decision to stop paying the lease for the second two floors of the building that they had then inherited from IRL, at which point there were already about half a dozen to a dozen startups living there. Um, the startups at the time were very happy having a space that they could use to blow things up and use strange chemicals. Um, so they saw the need to keep it going. That's how Level 2 was formed, to hold the lease um, of those two floors, and and we've kind of grown from there. That's cool. And, and what kind of companies do you have in there? And what, I mean, deep tech is a, a phrase that's been used a couple of times. It sounds really cool. Well, how do you how do you describe and define deep tech? Um, so we use, we use Hello Tomorrow's definition of deep tech, um, which is... Deep technology are innovations that have the potential to truly advance technological frontiers, and they are based on scientific advancements or engineering innovations. So it's not the kind of, all you need is a desk and a laptop to get an app going kind of startup. It's the startups who are pushing um, scientific boundaries. They are truly, truly innovative. Um, And yes, it's a very broad definition, but that's how we like it. Um, Deep tech contains everything from... Um, clean tech to biotech to agri-tech but also things like drone tech and hardware and IOT and machine learning so it's quite broad um, but it's, it's the truly it's the stuff that's going to change the world. And what does it physically look like when you wander in there are there actually kind of um, yeah like like experiment spaces or uh, you, you, what, what what's is it a lab environment or how does it are, are there kind of like old rocket burners sitting around? <laughs> There actually are. Um, we still have some shrapnel on the walls from some of Peter Beck's early experiment experiments. Um, it's uh, two floors of 
an old building um, that has been refitted and repurposed to be lab and workshop spaces. So we've got 16 companies in there at the moment. Most of them have their own lab or workshop space. You walk down the corridor and in one um, through one glass door, you get to see Mint's lab. Um, just across the corridor is, is Dotterall Technologies Workshop. Um, and that's part of the beauty of the place. If you need to borrow some equipment, if you need to um, ask for some advice, you've got everyone there who has that knowledge just down the corridor from you. Um, hmm. Must make for a good work slack. Who left the arsenic in the fridge? <laughs> That's probably us. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and yeah, so maybe he's talking about them. Uh, well, about the uh, the mint uh, innovation piece as an example of the kind of companies that are there. So yeah, you mentioned briefly that you um, were, were turning e waste into um, the the rare earth uh, materials that that are found in it. How do you do that biologically? Like, um, are we talking about a big vat with like liquid with interesting microbes in it that eat everything, or how does it actually physically go? What What's the process? That, that's essentially it. You're absolutely right. So, uh, process wise, we um, we recognise that uh, your laptop, for example, contains a lot of gold, uh, contains palladium, contains, as you say, some rare earth metals. Um, the challenging thing is that these are locked up in a pretty complex matrix of other metals, plastics, ceramics, all sorts of other clever stuff. Um, and uh, But what's happening with these things is they're typically thrown into a landfill. Uh, acid, acid, bit of acid rain or a bit of rain mixed with the uh, acidic environment of a landfill leaches out the metals and it gets into the waterways. So this, it's got to stop. This hazardous materials are being banned from landfill all around the world. Um, and what we're doing is simply diverting that material and capturing the value from it. Uh, we take the printed circuit boards, the green board that's inside uh, inside laptops, inside servers, inside uh, in, even inside your phones. Uh, we grind it up. Um, we dissolve all the metals into a solution. So we use a mixture of uh, a, of acid and a, and a mild oxidant just to dissolve everything into a dilute um, solution. We separate the solids from the masses. And then we use microbes, our magic microbes, to go into that solution and uh, and gobble up all the gold. And they literally go in there and they like a sponge. They soak up the gold, and because they've got mass, you can separate the, separate them out. And what we've what we've got is a is a is a clever way of selectively concentrating the gold from very very low concentration. Your, your laptops containing a, a few hundred parts per, per million. And we want to concentrate that up to, uh, to, to you know, a, a few percentage points. And uh, that's what these microbes do. So you've got this now, you've got this, uh, this very, very concentrated microorganism. It's mainly carbon, hydrogen, nitrogen, oxygen. Just burn it away and it leaves gold nuggets. Um, so, <laughs> yeah. so hey, th- th- thanks for all your work. <laughs> uh, please step into this incinerator. <laughs> Yeah, we we feel a little bit bad about it, it's, uh, but but the, the the beauty of this is, you know, these microbes. Um, you, you can grow a, a kilo of microbes on uh, on three kilos of sugar, um, three kilos of sugar. What's that? Ten bucks, and uh, and and a kilo of microbes is able to absorb you know, tens of grams, even hundreds of grams of gold. And what was the process before? Because I, I understand that the other thing that, like, you know, the, it's a remarkable innovation because of using microbes to selectively uh, ha- harvest the gold out sure. of this. But also, it, I, I was reading that the other thing was that at the scale that you're able to do it, you can do it at a scale that's wildly affordable compared to 
the existing methods. What are the existing methods? Sure. So, so existing methods uh, is uh, is kind of evolved over time. There's a recognised need for this because these things are going. The printed circuit boards are going to landfill. Um, what currently happens is uh, is is they get aggregated by local recyclers um, who collect all of the computers, the servers through you know office disposal systems, through local pickups, that sort of thing. Break break all the computers down into different fractions, different waste streams. You've got your plastic streams, you've got your meta, metal framing streams, you've got printed circuit boards. They take the printed circuit boards, they'll fill a container. They'll send that container off to somewhere in uh, somewhere typically um, Northeast Asia, uh, and uh, if it's done correctly, th- those printed circuit boards will go into a smelter. The smelter is a, typically a copper smelter, um, burns all the plastic away, uh, smelts the pla- the, uh, the copper away, and then the uh, the gold and some of the other precious metals can be uh, collected on a uh, as a slag material and then refined. The challenge with this is uh, it needs to be done on a continental scale. So they require tens of thousands of tons of, uh, of material on an on a, on a, a annual basis. So that requires all of New Zealand's waste, all of Australia's waste, most of Europe's waste coming to a single smelter. Uh, just to be economic. And, and it sounds like if you're talking about parts per million of the things you want, it sounds like there'd be an awful lot of plastic and stuff burnt away as just, yeah, as, yeah. As, uh, as a waste product. Uh, absolutely. And when you're burning these things, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of nasties. You, that, you uh, want that, that, that to check at the top of the stick. Correct. <laughs> correct, yeah. And, 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 and you know, that, at the moment, that is the, the only cost-effective solution. But what we've done is, is develop a very low-cost solution that can actually be done at the scale of, uh, of a city scale. Um, so rather than packing up shipping uh, overseas, which is, uh, is, is, is highly problematic, expensive, um, lacks transparency, uh, and as you point out, is, uh, doesn't seem to be the cleanest way of dealing with this waste, um, what we enable is doing it is, is doing it in the city of collection and able to be cheaply processing it so we're able to return larger um, larger returns to the recycler. We're able to do it cleaner uh, and we're also able to do it in a, in, a, in a cost-effective way that means that we win as well. It's quite remarkable, isn't it, Like when you see a little bit of um, tech that just 10 years ago was the absolute you know pinnacle of what we've achieved and now people don't even know how to throw out sure. uh, Old computers, old, old circuit boards, and, and the rest of it, and to be able to like um, get that value back out of it. What what happens with your waste in that uh, part? You're not burning it off, but there must be a yeah we, an output. Absolutely, there are outputs. So we collect all the metals, we collect the copper, we collect all the um, the gold, uh, palladium, and the other interesting metals, and then we separate out the uh, the, the, the plastic, the epoxy fraction. Uh, at the moment, we do consider that a waste stream, uh, but we're we're working with other partners to uh, to look at value add ideas for that. So uh, locking it up into a, a solid matrix, so you can make you know furniture to make uh, uh, railway sleepers, that sort of thing. Um, so absolutely, we're looking to minimise waste. But it's a really interesting point you make about uh, about you know computers that were that have been the leading edge of, uh, of of kind of the technology revolution for the last thirty years. And uh, and it's only now that we're really realising the damage that, uh, that that all of this waste is doing, and and uh, and it's it's only now that it really proliferates. We all carry around future waste in our pockets, 
and uh, and and so it's taken it's taken 20 30 years to really come up with a solution for um for that that can be deployed on a sensible level uh, and can be made into a uh, you know a, a way that everybody wins from a financial perspective um, I've no doubt we're going down exactly the same track with uh, with electric cars, for example. These yeah. batteries that we're putting in electric cars, fantastic global revolution. It's going to change the way that we transfer, use cars. Um, but there's going to be waste streams that just aren't economic to be uh, to be to be dealt with today. It's going to be 20 years down the track before there's companies like Mint who are able to process these things, and uh, and 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 that's somewhat frustrating. We really should be taking a slightly more pragmatic view when we oh, develop boy. these technologies. Oh boy, and and also so many of these uh, rare materials they come with. Um some horrendous extraction, uh, often horrendous Absolutely. extraction practices. So anything that can can keep things in the system rather than destabilizing small countries and the like. Absolutely, yeah. And and I think you know we are as a as a as a, a global economy starting to think about this more. And it's good timing for mint. That's exactly what we do. We 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 take uh, valuable and and scarce metals back in to be recycled. And uh, and yeah, there's an opportunity. There's great opportunities for for, for more companies like us to be uh, to to be effectively recycling uh, value back into the local economy. And so, how does your company work in with the level two idea and with this kind of innovation um, precinct? And and how are you, yeah, what what kind of um, benefits are there involved? Sure, the, uh, the the benefits are literally endless for us. Um, I uh, so Lanzatech used to be housed in this building, as you pointed out, and uh, as they moved out, um, we we found a small space. Um, Lanzatech used to take the whole floor. We just take a small office in this in this place. Um, they, as Lanzatech moved out and as other companies moved out, they've left lab infrastructure that they can't take with them. So we benefit from the the, the lab type infrastructure. Um, equally, there's, you know, there's there's clean space, there's space that has nothing in. So uh, it's flexible for us to be able to build a pilot plant, for example. So uh, the building's well um, uh, well consented, so it's got extraction, so you can do chemical processes, uh, you can do biological processes. Uh, so we can literally walk in, and it's a turnkey solution. We can do our tech development uh, from proof of concept stage all the way up to uh, pilot stage in this uh, fit for purpose environment. Uh, then the community benefits are even greater. Um, there's companies who've raised very, very large amounts of money. Rocket Lab is one. Uh, Peter Beck is still involved uh, in, in some way with with um, uh, with, with Level Two. He's raised hundreds of millions of dollars. Sean Simpson's raised hundreds of millions of dollars. There's other companies who are there growing today, and they've raised tens of millions of dollars. Um, so having access to their networks, having a- access to their expertise is... is you can't buy that sort of thing. Uh, well, you literally can't buy that sort of advice in New Zealand. Um, then there's IP advice. There's uh, who's the best lawyers, who's the best uh, um, advisors for this. How do you leverage this this grant? How do you work with Callahan? All of these things they're 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 intangible but invaluable, and you literally can't buy that sort of information in New Zealand. And it's all free at, at uh, level two. And I imagine that after, you know, you would have been looking after the patent process for hundreds of international patents in your past role with Lanzatech. I imagine you're a pretty handy guy to have a chat with for quite a few people there too. Absolutely. And, and you know, it's all informal advice, but, uh, but people do come to me to understand um, you know, the, the patent process better, who to go to. 
uh, what can be filed, what can't be filed, and, and yeah, it, it's uh, it's it's my advice can be bought uh, is you should go to a patent attorney firm, but getting it for free as a startup <laughs> company yeah. when you're running on a small smell of an oily rag is invaluable to all these other companies. So absolutely. In, in terms of kind of the community aspects as well, what kind of um, you know happy accidents happen where people share information, or have you had kind of you know interesting collaborations in the space, or yeah, what what's the kind of collegial or I guess like academic kind of atmosphere of sharing knowledge? Sure, I, I, they're happy coincidences all the time, and uh, and and we share resources, we pool resources, we we share uh, health and safety uh, protocols, we share. Um, you know, uh, investment advice, all that sort of thing. Um, there are new companies that uh, get founded as a result of, um, of of conversations in the tea room. Um, there's a, a company that's going through investment um, at the moment uh, who uh, who's a founder of one of the existing companies, met up with another um, a tech developer who's keen to be uh, involved in that sort of space and it just grows organically from there so it's uh, it, yeah it's just a random meeting of uh, a bunch of very smart people with a bunch of uh, of, of of skills that uh, are pretty unique in New Zealand how do people get involved like how do companies come to you um, usually it starts with uh, with an email to me saying hey we we're looking for some space and advice how can you help um, and then it's it's a very bespoke process from there on. We don't have a cookie-cutter approach to, to how we onboard new companies at all. Um, we try and accommodate companies in a way that best suits the founders and the tech and the team. So for some companies, all they need is some space and to be left alone, and we're very happy to do that. For others, they, they need a little bit of investment, they need a little bit more mentorship, and we provide that too. Um, so it's it's super founder friendly. We don't have uh, a set program as such because we find that that's not necessarily what founders need at this stage. And I think your uh, the point you raised earlier is is level two as a tech incubator, and we're not really level two is not really an incubator in that sense of the word. It's merely a space to enable you to do everything you want to do. Um, everything's on tap. Everything's on hand for you to be able to grow in the way you uh, that you need to grow. Um, but there aren't formal kind of uh, uh, courses or wraparound services uh, that your typical incubator might have. Um, so it's it's much more flexible. Um, it's much more kind of tech agnostic. And uh, and enables people to kind of grow in the way they need to grow. Uh, level two can provide advice and, and can provide um, uh, access to the various uh, resources, but uh, but it's, it's not forced on you. So uh, um, that's, a, that's a that's a pretty pretty nice comfortable place to grow a company. And what are the plans for the future? Like uh, what what's coming out next? <laughs> So we're in the process now of building eight new lab spaces um, on the ground floor of the building. There's there's so much demand for space because New Zealand's really good at generating new ideas. So we have we have more demand for space than we have space available at the moment. So that's the next thing for us is to expand the the labs and workshops so that we can accommodate more companies. Um, the idea is that in the very long term we might be able to to take over the whole building, but we'll see we'll see how that goes. Um, the next thing for us is also to start taking a bit more of an active role in helping out really earlier stage companies. Up until this stage, it's been um, a bit of a 
bit of a rental lab situation. Uh, usually when companies come to us, they have their first investment round behind them. We'd like to be able to help companies out that are slightly earlier than that. So to provide that pre-seed funding, to provide those the, that really early stage um, investment. So that's that's the next step for us is is to take a bit more active, take a bit more of an active role in, in earlier stage investment in these companies. Ah, that's so cool. And if anyone is um, listening and they're thinking, boy, that sounds like an exciting place. I'd love to just go and see what's going on. Or if people have got companies that they think meet the thing how do people get in touch uh well we can look us up anywhere really um you can look us up on on linkedin we have a website that's about to go live um you can flick me an email can i say my email address you can flick me an email on imsha at level 2.tech that's i-m-c-h-e at level 2.tech um you're always very ha- very welcome to come for a tour. You can't just wander in. Everything is under lock and key for good reason. Um, but if you ask nicely, I'm, I'm more than happy to, to show you around. Ah, that, that's so cool. Well, thank you so much, Imshafuri, uh, and thank you very much, Dr. Will Barker, CEO at uh, Mint Innovation. Can't wait to see what comes out next. Very good. Thank you. Thank you. Great. Thank you very much to Tina Diller for producing. Thank you for listening, and thank you to Callahan Innovation for sponsoring the podcast. You've been listening to Business is Boring, presented by Simon Pound. And brought to you by The Spin-Off and Callahan Innovation. From The Spin-Off Podcast Network, that was Business is Boring, brought to you by SparkLab. Make sure you're following Business is Boring wherever you get your podcasts. And for more information on SparkLab, visit sparklab.co.nz. Are you making the most of your KiwiSaver investment? Generate is an award-winning KiwiSaver provider with a track record of strong long-term performance. Making a smart decision now could add tens of thousands of dollars by the time you reach retirement. Book a no-obligation chat with a Generate KiwiSaver advisor today at generatekiwisaver.co.nz slash advice. A copy of the product disclosure statement is available at generatekiwisaver.co.nz. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited, and of course, past performance does not guarantee future returns. The Spin Off Podcast Network.